Welcome to the weekly teaching podcast of Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas, recorded live at 2828 Crossover in Fayetteville, Arkansas. For notes and resources accompanying this teaching, visit gracechurchnwa.org. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. My name is John Ray. Welcome to Grace Church. But there's someone else I want to introduce you to this morning, uh, Matt Covington. Matt, Dr. Covington researches hydrology and geomorphology. How many of you have ever heard the name geo, the word geomorphology before this morning, right? Well, he researches geomorphology with a particular focus on karst aquifers and landforms. Sometimes this is way underground. And he doesn't just go into caves and research this on Saturday afternoons. But sometimes he goes underground for weeks at a time. He has explored some of the deepest caves in the world. In places like Mexico, Peru, Sumatra, Alaska, China, Slovenia, and Croatia. Weeks underground, deep underground, sometimes scuba diving deep underground so he can go deeper, places so dark that his body loses the ability to tell night from day to know whether to be asleep or awake. And what he finds in these deeply hidden recesses, Matt, go ahead and come on up. What he finds in these deeply hidden recesses is incredibly beautiful and of exceptional importance. But there's also something that happens um, when he comes out that is, to me, equally as interesting. And I want to have him describe this experience. So maybe set up what it's like to be down there on the expedition and then what it's like coming out of that cave. Sure. So... Um, I'll specifically talk about a cave in Mexico that I've spent a lot of time in. And um, this cave, it's about three days travel from the surface to the end of the cave. So we're typically spending a week or more underground every time we're in there. And coming out from the bottom of this cave, if you're a week underground, if you're not really paying attention to what time it is, you tend to shift away from the regular day and night schedule. You might get totally reversed day and night. And the last thing you have to do to, to climb out of this cave is you've got about 2,000 feet worth of rope to climb. And you've probably got a 30 or 40 pound pack strapped to your harness. And so you have this really exhausting day, um, which may actually be night on the surface. And the, the thing is though, about being underground for so long is the way our bodies sense things, um, you get used to certain senses and, and sort of the sharpness of them decreases. Like if someone's baking a cake and you're hanging out in the room, you smell it, but you don't, really fully smell it. You go out of the room for a few minutes, you come back in, oh wow, that cake smells really good. So as you're coming out of the cave, the first thing that you start to smell is the surface. And you smell the leaves and the trees and sort of de decaying things on the surface that you don't have in the cave. Um, but then the really amazing thing, when you we come out, the way our eyes work, you don't see full color unless you have really bright light, like, like sunlight. And so when you first come out of the cave, you haven't seen real color for maybe a, a week or so, and suddenly everything is just totally vibrant, like colors you've never seen before. Bright green, bright red, and, and it's, you know, it, it lasts for a few minutes and then it kind of fades away and you get used to it, but um, it's, it's amazing. 
And the reason why we talk about this morning, thanks, yeah, <laughs> is I was captivated when Matt, we were sitting around the table the other night, and Matt was telling us his story about that. And I thought about that color is all around us all the time. It's not like he found this special place where the color vibrates and rings out like that. that that's around us all the time. But we just become dull to it. We become used to it in a way. In a way, we become dead to it. We're looking at how the first hearers of the gospel responded to the gospel message. We're looking at what it was like for communities of people who had been caught up in idolatry, caught up in being lost, caught up in the pressures of the world, all of a sudden receiving the gospel message and then incorporating it in their life. What was it like? And in some ways, I think it must have been like what Matt has experienced coming out of that cave. This going from darkness, this going from a culture of death, this going from being oppressed and enslaved, going from hopelessness all of a sudden into hope, from death into life, from condemnation into freedom, from guilt into forgiveness. And I think especially especially as we're looking at this group that started the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, what that must have been like to understand the resurrection. But the thing is, just like after a few minutes, that light fades when you come out of the cave, they were beginning to lose that enthusiasm. They were beginning to lose that grasp of the resurrection. They were beginning to lose that that awe of it, and it was becoming dull, it was becoming unimportant, it was becoming maybe unbelievable to them. And so Paul writes them this portion of the letter, which we're going to study today, to remind them of the vibrancy and the reality of the resurrection. And we're going to look specifically at three things as we look at this text. What does Jesus' resurrection mean to the gospel message? What role does it play, not just for the Corinthians, for us? We're going to look at it as, why is it so hard for us to understand, embrace, and practice resurrection? Why do we become so quickly dull to this idea? Because I believe we do. And how do we develop an active gospel imagination for resurrection and the practices that nurture it? Those are the three things we're going to consider as we look at the text today. So pray with me. Abba, thank you for gathering us together. You are the one that has called us. You are the one that has created us. You are the one who has redeemed us and is resurrecting us into eternal life. And God, these are things that are spiritual. These are things that that transcend our normal senses. We can't understand these by just our human logic. We're, we're stuck in the cave unless you call us into the light of your truth by your Holy Spirit. And that's what I pray happens now, that something supernatural, something 
very supernatural happens, that by your divine Holy Spirit, you enlighten us to understand and to grasp these things which are above and beyond our senses. To the praise of your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the text. Again, Paul is writing to a community that somehow something is happening and and the, the reality of the resurrection is losing its shine. It's losing its its vibrancy to the community. So this is what he writes. We're reading in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. Now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preach to you, that you received and on which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as though one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace has, to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Whether then it was I or they, this is the way we preach, and this is the way you believed. Now, if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead, how can some say there is no resurrection of the dead? That's the issue. Some have come to say, hey, we may believe this gospel, we may believe in Jesus, we may believe in his teaching, but... This resurrection from the dead thing, while we may have been, it may have been brilliant and blinding at first, now that you really think about it, I mean, come on, logically, somebody raised from the dead? That just, it just doesn't happen. Maybe it was metaphor. Maybe it was just, they were just speaking metaphorically. But the church had begun, there had been this, this injection of this stream of thought that the resurrection didn't happen. But Paul says this, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. Also, we are found to be false witness about God because we have testified against God that he raised Christ from the dead, when in reality it did not raise him, if indeed the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. You are still in your sins. Furthermore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anyone. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then when Christ comes, those who belong to him. Then, will co- then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father. When he has brought it all to an end. All rule and authority and power. For he must reign until all has been put. Until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be eliminated is death. The sting of death is sin. The power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, 
who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I would add, your life is not in vain. The resurrection from the dead and the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of all of us is what gives meaning and purpose to our lives. Ultimately, it is the only thing that will motivate us beyond threat and bribe. See, the world works totally on a system of threat and bribe. You'll be rewarded for achieving or doing good or adhering to some moral code or, or uh, following some good intent or emotion, and you'll be punished if you do not. And we live our lives, we've talked about it time and time again in grace, on that try harder give up cycle that is just perpetuated by threat and bribe. And listen, eventually that will not suffice. You will live long enough to come to a time. It may be early on in your life, it may be late on in your life where you will echo with the preacher of Ecclesiastes that says, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. If there is no resurrection from the dead, folks, we are wasting our time here. As a matter of fact, we are holding ourselves up and worthy of ridicule if there is no resurrection of the dead. We're foolish to be here. It is foolish to waste our Sundays, to waste our energy, to waste our money, to waste our effort. It is only the resurrection of the dead in accordance with the life of Jesus that makes any of this meaningful. But if, if it's true, then what we do here is a profound significance is of essential consequence, not only for our own souls, but for the sake of our community and indeed the sake of all creation. So what does this gospel resurrection, what does Jesus' resurrection mean to the gospel message? Why is it so hard for us to understand, embrace, and practice resurrection? Why do we lose that luster? How is it that our senses so quickly become dull to this and then we become once again burdened with threat and bribe and culture and demands and conditioning with this. And how do we develop this gospel imagination? Well, let's look at what it means. First of all, Paul makes clear that we need to embrace the resurrection as central to the gospel. The cross, yes. This is not in any way to diminish the cross. The sacrifice that was paid by Jesus on the cross However, without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. It loses its power. We, it is always both and with this. And we'll talk about maybe why we've diminished that in a minute. But we have to understand that the resurrection is central to the gospel. Paul is emphatic that if there is no resurrection, as we heard, the message he preaches is a lie and our faith is empty. Then why don't we put enough? Why are we out of balance with this? And 
well, let's start by talking about what do we mean by resurrection here? How, how many of you have really a good concept of what, what we call life after death looks like, means? Anybody got a really good concept of that? I mean, you have a, a clear 3D, full idea of that? I'll tell you, when I was a kid, heaven scared the crap out of me. I mean, because as, as growing up as a kid, I kind of got into that, I, and it's more culturally conditioned. It didn't come from church. But, you know, angels and harps and clouds and stuff, I could not imagine anything more boring. And as a kid, you know how as a kid you're always wanting things to hurry up, right? Like as a kid, you feel like there's, like time is the enemy. There's so much time. You have to wait on everything as a kid, right? You're just like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. The thought of being in eternity where time just kept going, that was pure torture to me as a kid. I couldn't imagine anything worse than that. Well, so what do we mean by this resurrection? What we mean is the Jesus life, eternal life that doesn't just happen on some cloud with some harp in some city in the sky, but eternal life that starts now. A way of being and existing that is open to all eternity. A way of being and existing and being open to all that is true and good and beautiful. A way of being that sets us free from the dictates and the demons of life apart from God. A way of being that allows us to transcend the gravitational pull of sin and death and desecration. It is a way of living beyond threat and bribe right now. Not just after you die. It is a way of living beyond the curse, beyond the darkness of the deepest cave of demand, depression, and despair. It is the ultimate gift of Jesus. You see, forgiveness of sin, we talk about so much in evangelism, is essential, yes, but it's not the end goal. Forgiveness of sin is a means to an end. And that end is resurrected life. That end is eternal life. That end is life eternal that starts now. The end is freedom that comes from the Jesus life. That is the promise of resurrection. That I can get excited about. <laughs> that, that I can live for. That I can hope in. That I can breathe in, in the midst of a world that is continually hammering, hammering, hammering death all around me. But if that's so vibrant, if, if we can conceptualize that, and if that's so vibrant, and if it's so beautiful, and if it's so good, and it's so true, what are the things that keep us from living into it? Well, in our culture, <clears throat> we're terrified to start off to think of <clears throat> someone coming back from the dead. Thank you, Walking Dead and series. 
<clears throat> right? We talk about someone coming back from the dead. Get your chainsaw and run is our response. It doesn't have anything to do with something good or beautiful or true. Paul obviously thinks differently and deeply about the resurrection. And while we might have to say we understand and believe in the idea of heaven, and most of us are still hard-pressed to understand resurrected life. And we emphasize evangelism, we emphasize people coming in, but, but this practice of resurrection is constantly subverted, one, by apathy, because it's hard. It's hard to live that way. It is easier to live as slaves. Listen, read the Bible. It's all through there. We're always being delivered by God and then crying out to God to take us back to our prison, take us back to Egypt, take us back to the law, take us back to... Because, because we know that. We know slavery. We know death. We know threat. We know bribe. We understand it. We can understand that system. We find our ways to operate to survive for a while, to subsist. We're not practiced as people living in freedom. It's apathy. It's habit. It's also obstinance and idolatry. Quite frankly, we love it. We love our idols. We love to have our own way. We love to be people who can manipulate and manage the system to win against the other people around us. And instead of looking at the goal and the beauty of resurrection, we just look at the people around us and say, well, I'm better than them. I got it made over that person. Well, we win over that person. Well, at least I'm not that person. And we are chronic idolaters and obstinate of heart. There's also, there's just the flat-out incredulity of the whole deal. As I prayed earlier, listen, it doesn't make any sense. Anybody see anybody raised from the dead? I mean, I haven't. I, I've seen people die. More than a few. I've never seen anybody come back. It just doesn't make any sense. When we put it in our laboratory and we put it on our, in our science and we put it in our logic, it just... There's an incredulity when it comes with that. I think there's also just a lot of incorrect teaching around it. Like I said, I don't, I don't think I necessarily got that from church, my idea of heaven. But I know in churches there's just a lot of incorrect teaching around this. It's not a, it's not a subject that lends itself to a sweet and easy sermon. And then you just got the cultural perceptions of, you know, I grew up with cartoons with, you know, again, clouds and angels and that whole bit. And just a lot of noise around it that's not true. There's also just the life we live. The life that we get up and we have to pay our bills, we have to go to work, we have to raise our kids, we have to wash our clothes, we have to do this stuff, and the routine business of this life in a way, draws us deeper into this cave where we lose the light to see it. And if we're not conscious, if we don't pay attention to what's going on around us, we just get caught up in the constant monotony of life. 
All of these things lead us to a poverty of imagination. We don't, even, we don't have an imagination. We don't even have a language for it. Like, I think one of the most stunning things to me is we walked through and we taught through the resurrected, the time that Jesus spent on earth as a resurrected being was the lack of description they gave to his physical appearance because I don't even think they had a language for it. He looked like a gardener, but then he said, his, his, then he said Mary's name and then she recognized him. You know, he looked like just a stranger walking on the road to Emmaus, but then he broke the bread and then they recognized him. Well, he looked like this and then he did this and then they recognized I mean, they couldn't even describe, you know? And he said, well, he had the scars, but he didn't, the rest of him was apparently okay because he was brutally beaten with the other stuff. What about the other marks? Were they there? We don't know. This resurrection, we don't not only suffer from a lack of imagination, we don't have a language to describe it. And I do think the one language that is available to us, the one that is most appropriate for this, is art. And yet, as Christians, we tend to shun that. Man, we want clear exegesis of the word. We want to make it systematic and formulaic and do this stuff. Well, you can't do that with this. It doesn't fit. We need music. We need art. We need poetry. We need metaphor. We need film. We need all of these ways of engaging our senses beyond just our logical mind to foster this. We need to spend days floating down the King's River. We need to spend long afternoons at Crystal Bridges. We need to sit on the floor and play with our children and just let them play and watch them. We need to listen to music that is crafted with the heart of the creator in it to form our imaginations. But there's also something else that we need that is central to all of that. When we ask this question, how do we develop an active gospel imagination for resurrection and the practices to nurture it? Above all, there is one practice that we have to have, and that is church. And I want to refer heavily to a book here. I I mentioned it in our teaching notes, and I I really hope you'll go through the teaching notes. Um, Each week we send out these teaching guides. It's got all kinds of of links. There's one author, maybe more than anyone else, who's influenced me in my journey, and that's Eugene Peterson. And he wrote a whole book on this. Uh, It's part of a five-volume series worth every dollar you will spend and every word that you will read. But in this book, Practice Resurrection, he says this about the church. He says, Church is the core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit for providing human beings witness and physical presence to the Jesus-inaugurated kingdom of God in this world. And make no mistake, the kingdom of God is built on the reality of resurrection. That's what it proclaims. That's what it promises. That's what it will fulfill. And the church is how we give witness to that physical, embodied, incarnate witness to that truth. He says this about the church, and I doubt 
many of us came into church this morning thinking this, but this is what we came to do. The church is a Holy Spirit-formed colony of heaven in the country of death. Let me say that again. This morning, we are gathered here in this building for the purpose of being a Holy Spirit-inspired colony of life in a country of death. We give here to give testimony to that. We, give here to, we gather here to give presence to that. We gather here to practice that, to proclaim that, to be encouraged by that. That is where we develop this imagination for resurrection, is by being the church. How do we do that? How do we do that? It, what are the habits of resurrected living? Well, again, Peterson says this, and he says that these mundane things, which we take as mundane, they're not mundane at all. These are the mystical tools of transcending our bodies and cultures of death to live into resurrected life. What are those things? Well, we worship God in all the operations of the Trinity. The acceptance of resurrection born from above identity and baptism. The embrace of resurrection formation by eating and drinking Christ's resurrection body and blood at the Lord's table. Attentive reading and obedience to the revelation of God in the scriptures. Prayer that cultivates intimacy with realities that are inaccessible to our senses. Confession and forgiveness of sins. Welcoming the stranger and the outcast. Working and speaking for peace and justice, healing and truth, sanctity and beauty. Care for the stuff of all creation. Hallelujah! This is what we get to do. We are no longer held down by the power of sin and the threat of death. We get to live alive. Y'all, we have been set free by resurrection. Every day when we walk and we drive and we work, we are being crushed by the threat of death. This church... This church is a colony of life against that. And it is all founded in the resurrection. And we get to do this. We get to. We're invited to do it. This is the life that we are invited to live. What, what else could there be? What other hope could we have? What other meaning is there out there? Everything fades. Everything pales. Threats lose their power. Fear dissipates because we have eternal life and the promise of the resurrection. I ask the worship team to come up. As we reflect on this and we give back to God that worship, as we worship now as this colony of life, as people called together not by ethnicity or gender or economic status or language, but by our allegiance to Jesus.
And we practice resurrection at this table. We practice taking the body and the blood of the resurrected Lord into our bodies so that our imagination is fueled. That reality becomes a little more, a little more real, a little more real. And we pray that the Holy Spirit awakens us just like Matt sees when he comes out of that cave. Awakens us to the beauty, the truth, the reality of the resurrection all around us. We give our offerings a sign as practice of that sacrifice, a practice of that participation in community because these, these needs are not our own. We don't just look out for ourselves here. We're not in competition together. We're all for one together here. We're all for the sake of the world. So we give sacrificially for that. And we reflect, we reflect and we pray. Thank you for being here this morning. Thanks again for listening to the weekly podcast from Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. If you have any comments or questions or would like to know more about us, visit gracechurchnwa.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram too. We hope you join us again soon. In the meantime, grace and peace and have a great week.